quite enjoy keeping track of things. I'm fairly nerdy by nature. I like to keep lists. And as a result, I keep a list of every time I speak and every time I preach, every time I um, share in a context like this. And this is my 501st sermon, which is very exciting. Um, I'm sorry I missed, uh, I missed the 500th with you. I was, I was somewhere else for that one. But when I realized that uh, it felt like something of a milestone, when I realized that, I, uh, I, asked, I asked God, um, so what, if, if you want me to speak another 500 times, what would you like me to do? Is there anything you want me to grow in or change or do differently? And the thing that I felt was right for the next batch, the next 500, was this, to ask people to open their Bibles more. So that's what I'm going to do now. If you have a Bible with you, a physical one, can I encourage you to get it, get, get it out, get it ready? If you have an app on your phone, which maybe you've not opened in a while, a Bible app, can I encourage you to grab that and get it ready? Uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, and uh, if you don't have a Bible app, but you do have a phone and you'd like to be able to follow along, um, can I encourage you to get Google open and to uh, Google 1 Thessalonians 5, and it'll, it'll find some website that's got it on for you. The reason for that, by the way, is because increasingly, the more and more and more that I have preached, the more I've learned and realized and remembered and discovered that I have very little to say that's of any benefit. But God has so much to say that is of so much benefit. So I would far rather that you were listening to him in his word than just to me. That's my encouragement to you. I won't do that long preamble every time for the next 500 times, but I will encourage you to open your Bibles, and that's the reason why. Today, we're carrying on in our series, uh, One Another, where we've, in fact, we're finishing it. Um, this is the last one in that series before we start with Advent next week. And what we've been doing is looking at different instructions and encouragements across the New Testament, where God, through the writers of the New Testament, calls people to treat each other and behave towards one another in different ways. And today, we come to this phrase, build one another up. Build one another up. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And it comes from this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, which will be on the screen, but also maybe in front of you, which says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is an encouragement to the people to keep on doing something that they've been doing. This is not Paul telling people off and saying, you've been doing this, and instead I'm telling you to do that differently. He's saying, you're already doing it. Keep on going with it. You are building one another up. Keep on doing it and do it more. In fact, uh, to what, this, this, is the, this is the sort of um, coming towards the end of this letter that Paul is writing to these Christians. And uh, for a chunk of the letter, what Paul does is he shares some things that are encouragements and things that he wants to say to them. And then he says, and actually I've had some reports from our, our mutual friend, Timothy, who's told me a few things about you. Let me address those things. And then he, in this sort of last section of the Bible, uh, last section of this letter in the Bible, he addresses a couple of those things. And what we see in that last section is it's bookended by these two things. There's some bookends. I think those are fun bookends. Um, although it would make all of your books lean 
No, that wouldn't be cool. Okay, I take that back. Um, this, this last section of the letter is bookended on the one hand by 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, that says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And then finally, with the verse that we're looking at today, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. What we get What we get is this sense that Paul is saying to them, in these things that I'm writing to you about, you're already going there. You're already doing it. Now keep on going. That's my heart towards you as I share with you today as well. I see so much in this church of ways in which we build one another up. We support one another. All the things that we've looked at throughout this series, praying for one another, serving one another, honoring one another, loving one another. I see all of those things in our church family. And I believe God is not saying, you're rubbish, sort it out. He's saying, keep on going and even further some of those Things. That's what we see in, in Paul's heart as he writes these things. But what I want us to do, it's all very well to say build one another up. But in what? Build one another up how? What parts of each other are we meant to be building up? If it just said help each other to become better. It, very vague, better, better at what? Better how? What's the, what's the aim? What's the goal here? What I want us to do is to focus in on 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 11, and we'll read it in a few chunks, and we'll see what is it immediately before Paul says, so therefore build one another up. What is it that he's talking about, and what lessons can we learn about the things that we are meant to build one another up in? So we'll start in verses 1 to 3, which say, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, We do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. In these first few verses, these first three verses, what we see Paul doing is he's reminding these readers of a bigger picture. Just before this passage, Paul has been talking about about when Jesus will return. There's that phrase, the day of the Lord, which has been used previously and will be used again. And we know, he says, that that will come suddenly. You won't expect it. You can live in a way that's prepared for it, but you won't know when it's coming. He's reminding them that there is a bigger picture. That what's going on around us is not the whole thing. It's not the whole deal. And if we're living only for the things that are going on around us, we'll be like these people that he mentions in verse 3, who are going going around saying, peace and safety. In other words, everything's fine. I'm secure. Everything's at peace. I've I've got my my relationships. I've got my job. I've got my security. I've got my money in the bank. I've got my holiday booked. Everything is fine. Everything is peaceful. Everything is safe. And then Jesus comes back. Because actually they've been living for the here and now, not living for the big picture. Earlier this year, Professor Brian Cox, a famous um, uh, physicist um, and sort of TV scientist dude, um, he he came out uh, earlier this year um, uh, with with what he considered to be decisive proof that the human soul does not exist, which is, you know, tricky for me, because I quite like mine. Um, 
but his reasons for that were, were, were basically this. He says physics has, and particularly at the level of particle physics, so when things get very, very, very small, there are a few different discernible and measurable forces at work in the universe. And I think forces like gravity, but there's, there's others as well. And, and there's only four of them. There's only four of these forces, and we can, we can account for everything according to them. So because we know that these different forces are, are, are acting on different bodies and objects, we can understand why and how everything works. He says we cannot measure anything within a human body that is not already accounted for by those four things. And so if there were this, this other thing, this other force, this soul, this spiritual force of some kind within a human body, there would be something happening that we couldn't account for with these other things. And so as a result, because we can't measure it, because we can't understand it at a particle physics level, the soul must not exist. And he considered it knockdown proof. And therefore, an afterlife can't exist. And therefore, so many faith systems don't make sense. Of course, what he's done there is he's made an assumption at the very beginning that, that anything spiritual must exist within the physical. That the biggest thing that we could possibly imagine is the universe and its physical nature and the things that we can discern and measure and observe. And anything else must exist within that. Spirituality must exist within that. What Paul is doing in these verses is he's pointing people to the exact opposite. That the spiritual reality of our lives and of the story of Jesus who came and died and rose again and will one day return is far bigger than anything material and physical around us. I'm not going to do any more physics this morning, don't worry. But if we get those two things the wrong way around, our life starts being lived backwards instead of forwards. If we start thinking the most important things are our job security and our homes and our houses and the physical stuff of our lives, important as they are, then we're going to be putting our security in the wrong place. We are called to a bigger picture. And then it carries on in verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day, this day of the Lord, should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let's not be like others who are asleep, but let's be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Paul has reminded these people in verses 1 to 3 of a bigger picture. Now he's calling them to be alert and awake. He's calling them not to be uh, groggy, sleepy, drowsy, unalert, unintentional, just going through the motions, Christians. He's encouraging them to be on the front foot, to be forward-facing. He's saying, these people who, who think they've got peace and think they've got safety, but one day will realize that that was not all it was meant to be, you're not like them. You've, you've discovered something far bigger. You've discovered Jesus. You've discovered the truth of who God is. So don't behave as if you haven't. Don't, don't behave in a way that, that doesn't take that by, with both hands, that doesn't take it by the horns, that doesn't press on forwards. He's saying, you're not that, so don't, don't, don't behave like that. He's encouraging the Christians there. He says in verse 6, not to be like others who are asleep, but to be awake and to be sober. Now, if you're awake 
and you're sober about something, then you're deliberate about it. You're thinking about it. You're thinking clearly about it. You're planning. You're being careful. You're not just letting life, not just letting faith, not just letting your decisions and your ethics and your morality wash over you. You're you're, you're taking control of them. You're being deliberate about those things. You're being alert. You're being awake. Paul is encouraging these disciples, these Christians, who are already pressing forward in their faith to continue doing so more. I need that challenge all the time. I can get so caught up in just going through the motions. In my line of work, working in a church, in some ways I think that can be even easier because I show up every day and I can just clock in, clock out. Sure, between clocking in and clocking out, there's a chunk of prayer, there's a bunch of talking with other Christians, get to open and study my Bible. I get all of that, but it can become routine. It's why I need that wake-up call from God every 500 sermons. I should probably talk to him more than once every 500 about how it's going because, because I can just end up getting caught up. Yep, I know how to do sermon prep. I know where I'm going to go. I know what books I might go to. I know what the prayer looks like. I know how I'll structure my notes. Job done. Tick. How often can we live our lives like that? What's that for your line of work or for your home environment or for your relationships? How is it that we can just get stuck and we need that alarm clock to wake us up and to say, actually, no, I'm going to be intentional and deliberate about this again. Well, how can we be intentional? Well, Paul carries on. He says in in verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And then he says, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. How do we be intentional? We get dressed in the morning. We get up and we get dressed, armed by God. This is not the armor of God passage that we read in Ephesians chapter 6, which is about spiritual warfare particularly. This is about how we take hold of our faith and choose to clothe ourselves with it. And it comes down to three things, which Paul speaks about in a number of places in his letters. Faith, hope, and love. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. We remind ourselves what we believe in, what our faith is in, that our faith is not in our own abilities, our own capacity, our own goodness. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We clothe ourselves with love, the love of God poured out for you and for me at the cross and the love that we in turn can point back to God and direct towards other people. And we have hope. We sung it. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for he is with us and he will one day return for us. We have hope and we need to clothe ourselves with that. We need to remind ourselves of what we have our faith in, of how deeply we are loved and of what our hope is and how solid it is. We need to be armed by God. And then finally, As we carry on in verse 9, we read, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. 
final thing Paul reminds them of before he gives them that encouragement to encourage and build one another up is he reminds them of the good news. This good news that gives us hope. Just been encouraged to clothe ourselves with faith and love and hope. And then he says, because God didn't appoint us, didn't call us out so that he could direct his anger towards us and his judgment towards us. God called us out and then he died for us so that these words, whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That's good news that he died for us that we might live together with him, that there would be no ounce of separation, that there'd be no distance, there wouldn't be an inch between us, that we could be close with our creator and our redeemer gods. And notice, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we can be with him. We can live together with him. Whether we're awake or asleep, now, when I was looking at this, I, I found myself getting quite excited because I, I read that and my, my immediate assumption was that Paul was talking about when he says whether we're awake or asleep was that he meant whether we're still alive when Jesus comes back or whether we've already died by the time that Jesus comes back. That's how he uses that phrase earlier on in chapter 4 about people who've gone to sleep already being those who have already died. But actually, that's not the way he's just used that very same image In verse 6, we were talking about people who were asleep and people who were awake. And there, it wasn't to do with people who died or people who were alive. There, if we remember, let us not be like others who are asleep, but instead, let's be awake and sober. It was the distinction between people who are alert, people who are intentional, people who are deliberate, and those who are just going through life, those who are just going through the motions. And I read this and found myself getting really excited because it was, it was teaching me something that, that I often forget. And it was giving me a bit of a slap in the face and a wake-up call. Because what he's essentially saying is that Jesus died for us. So that whether we are awake and on fire, charismatic, going for it, sharing our faith, Bible every day, long prayer times, hearing from God, giving what he's given us, seeing the breakthrough, or whether a Christian who's received Jesus and is just going through the motions, he died for all of us. So we don't need to line ourselves up and rank ourselves and say, well, Jesus is more pleased with these people because he died for the lot of us. Of course, there's an encouragement for us to be alert, to take hold of our faith. But I don't want for a second anyone to hear me saying that if we're not doing those things, that somehow salvation isn't for us. Salvation comes when we believe in Jesus, when we receive what he's done. That's it. If we never pick up our Bible after that, we're the ones who are going to lose out. Not lose out our salvation, but lose out on hearing from God. If we never pray ever again in the rest of our lives, our salvation doesn't drop away. If we trust in Jesus, he died for us so that we can live with him forever. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So, back to our question, what are we meant to be building each other up in? Well, we get a few pretty clear pictures from this. If this is what comes before, therefore, build one another up, well, we should be building one another up to see that big picture, 
We should be encouraging one another and saying, yes, I know this thing in your life is all consuming right now, but remember that God is there and he's bigger than it all. And that one day these things that you're facing will not be the defining feature of your life because you'll be with God forever. We need to be building one another up to see that big picture. We need to build one another up to be alert, to be saying to one another, what steps are you taking with God at the minute? What's on your agenda with him? What's he speaking to you about? What are you doing with that? We need to build one another up by helping each other get dressed in the morning, by pointing each other to where our faith and our love and our hope come from. And we need to build one another up by constantly reminding each other of the good news of Jesus. When we find ourselves either looking to other Christians and going, oh my word, my faith is nowhere near as good as theirs. They seem to be on fire and I'm just stuck. I'm in a ditch. We need someone to remind us. We need to remind other people. It's not about that. It's not about that. Jesus died for you, and that's good news. And when we find ourselves looking down on other Christians and going, well, I've got it all made. I think I've got it a little bit more sorted than them. They seem to have been, they, they, they're lost. We need people to remind us, no, that's, that's not it. The good news is that they're just as saved as you are. They're just as safe in Jesus as you are. It's good news. And we need to build one another up and remind each other of it. So how? Well, at this point, I do want to mention what Stephen shared in the announcements at the beginning about something that we are launching, that we are sharing with you, which is not a one Sunday thing. This is not one Sunday and then it's done. This is going to be something that's going to be part of the life of our church, part of the way that we encourage people to build each other up and be built up by God. You'll hear us talking about it, and it should become part of the heartbeat of who we are. And it's called Take a Step, and it is a discipleship pathway, a map, if you like, something that will help you and help others figure out where it is that they can be built up, where it is that they can grow. And like Stephen said, sometimes we need to start by taking those first steps. This is about discovering Jesus for the first time. This is about taking some of those early moments of faith with him and doing it well. How can you build someone up? It might be that there's someone that you can build up by taking through some of those things, by inviting them to Alpha, by, by, by spending time with them and saying, yeah, okay, so you've become a Christian recently. How can I help you in that? How can I help you to take your first steps well? What questions do you have? What should we do next? Sometimes, as Stephen said earlier on, there are times to take a big leap. There are times when, when we go, God, what's next? And what he says is next is big. People who've answered the call to go overseas in mission. People who've answered the call to not go overseas, but to go somewhere and do something very deliberate in order to share Jesus. People who've said, there's this, there's this role or this, this, this gift that I believe God is calling me into, and it's way out of my comfort zones, and it scares me silly, but I'm going to take a big leap with Jesus. For most of us, most of our lives are not lived in the first steps of faith or in those big leaps. For most of us, most of our lives is spent in the ongoing, keeping on going forward with Jesus, what's been described as a long obedience in the same direction. We call that ongoing steps. Ongoing steps is about building that prayer life. It's about getting deeper into scripture. It's about relating well with other people. It's about sharing what we've been given with other people in normal, everyday ways. 
It's about being accountable to one another. It's about having our finances submitted to God. It's about all of those things. It's about disciplines that we build into our life. It's about all of those things that will keep us on stepping forward with God. And the question at the heart of all of this is, what's the next step for you? And as we seek to build one another up, the question we can ask each other is, so what's the next step for you? And maybe we could take that step together. Maybe we could do that together. Like Stephen said, out through there, there is a stand where there's some resources, some encouragements, really a way to help you figure out, to sort of zero in, firstly on which of these three you are, but then to go a few levels beneath that. There's also a website section at goldhill.org slash disciple where you can find all of this and loads of different resources. Some of the resources are out there, some of them aren't. Hard to print off an app and put it on a stand. But there are apps, there are websites, there are different things that we'd encourage you to take a look at. This is all about building one another up. It doesn't happen by mistake. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens when we are alert when we encourage people, when we remind people of the big picture of their life, of the world, of the universe. And when we remember the good news of Jesus, that I'm not better than you, you're not better than me, and Jesus died for us all. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for all the people in my life who have built me up. That where there are people or situations that might try and tear me down, there have been others who have stood against that and said no. And worked for my good. Thank you for all the people who do that for me now. Thank you for this church family, this community that we're part of. And Lord, I want to ask that just as we are already doing, you would enable us to build one another up in the truth of the good news of Jesus, in the reality of what that means for our life, and in taking deliberate, intentional steps forward in faith. We give ourselves to you. Would you build us up? And would you help us to build one another up, to point people to things that are good and helpful and right. Lord, would you lead us and have your way? In Jesus' name, amen.